Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and uh, welcome to our third part of this series. And the second part, I spoke to you about some of the issues in renal imaging. I spoke to you about some of the issues in terms of errors and potential issues in terms of pitfalls. And I thought I would show you two quotes. Uh, when I spoke at the RSNA this past year, uh, the session was with Jonathan Berlin, and he spoke about some of the medical legal issues in GU imaging. And in fact, these issues are the same really for all types of imaging, but one of the comments he made that the most common reason for a misdiagnosis in radiology is a perceptual error or an error in which the radiologist fails to recognize or observe an abnormality. And then he mentioned that in the kidney, one of the common sources of error is improper technique. And again, that's true with everything. One of the critical things for CT we all recognize is technique. <clears throat> We, uh, on CT as us, knew from the start the single most popular area initially, and for many years, was the protocol section, because people wanted to know how to do protocols. And so in the kidneys, we mentioned it's critical. So typical protocol, hematuria, rule-out mass, we're doing non-contrast CT scans. Yes, we can see calcifications better on non-contrast CT, but to me the main reason is, is that if we see a mass on the enhanced study, we want to make sure it's not a high-density renal cyst. So if it's 80 on the arterial phase and 80 on the venous phase and 80 excretory, what was a non-contrast? If it was 80, then it's a high-density renal cyst. No issue. And again, we always worry about radiation dose, so we try to minimize the area of coverage. We'll only do the kidneys non-contrast. We'll then come back with cortical imaginary phase imaging, and this is for CTA and 3D mapping and tumor vascularity, you name it. We're going to go there with the 0.75 by 0.5 millimeter thick sections. And again, we'll cover the kidneys and, and proximal portions of the ureter, but we're not going to scan the entire abdomen. In the pairs we used to, in select cases we still do, but if the focus is on kidneys, we do not. We then will come back typically with a nephrographic phase image, particularly in cases where we're staging tumors. That's the best phase for renal vein as well as IVC. And again, we'll typically only do the kidneys, though in other cases we will cover the entire abdomen, but typically it's the kidneys. And then our excretory phase images at around four minutes, we'll do the entire abdomen and pelvis. We'll get very nice CT urograms and the urologists really like those CT urograms. So indeed it's very helpful. And just from terms of protocols, here's on our scanners. Typical protocols will be the best detectors, the thinnest sections, uh, 0.75 by 0.5 is what we're typically doing. And whether it's arterial phase or venous phase or excretory phase, that's what we're doing. We're giving the patient the best options available for our post-processing. Now I mentioned technique is one of the sources of error. We also mentioned before that how you look at things is a source of error. And we also mentioned that depending on the phase of acquisition, you'll do better or you'll do worse. And potentially you can miss lesions or misinterpret lesions. So I give you this case, for example, of hematuria, excretory phase, very nice infiltration, lower pole calyx on the right. I would always say this was an infiltrating process, transitional cell I have to worry about. Could it be inflammatory? Yes, but I'm thinking transitional cell. But look what happens in this patient if we go back and get the arterial phase. This patient had a vascular malformation that encased the lower pole calyx. So on the late phase, 
the opacification of the vasculature is gone, so you see soft tissue thickening and irregularity of the calyx. When you're in early phase imaging, you see the AV malformation, nicely shown in this image, and nicely shown on this image, and then shown side by side in this image. So this is a wonderful example of where you detect pathology but make the wrong diagnosis. This patient's AVM was treated with embolization and it was not treated with biopsy or partial nephrectomy for suspected transitional cell. That is critical. I mentioned before small vascular tumors are a pitfall. I'll show you this example. I think you should make the diagnosis. Look at the mid-portion left kidney. There is a hypervascular renal mass. There is a change in the cortex and cortical medullary interface. You should see it. Again, we mentioned at times hypervascular lesions can be tricky. We look at that in the coronal display. Again, I think you should be able to see it. But I will say that if you go from the uh, early phase to the late phase, that late phase makes it a bit easier to see. And this is a good example, and I'll show you it side by side, of where the um, arterial phase and excretory phase show things well, and you should make the diagnosis on both, but I would say the later phase is just a touch easier. But again, think about how much information you're getting from that early phase in terms of lesion vascularity. Another pitfall I'll mention is that we love 3D imaging and post-processing, but again, it can lead potentially to errors. Here's a hypervascular lesion, junction of mid and lower third left kidney. Uh, you can see it on this 3D early phase acquisition with volume rendering. But look what happens when you change the display and you look at it with volume rendering and MIP. You see it very nicely in volume rendering, but look how poorly you see with MIP. So again, intrarenal lesions that are vascular can easily be missed on MIP because they're the same density, depending on the display, as the uh, volume, as the rest of the kidney. So it can be a real tricky diagnosis. Now, we do mention the importance of display because it's not just with vascularity that we talk about display. In this patient, early phase imaging, left kidney is abnormal, something infiltrating in the left renal pelvis. And we'll go to the next image showing similar things. Now, when you go to excretory phase imaging, you really see this nicely because now what you see is you see an infiltrating process, lower pole calyces on the left, very classic for transitional cell carcinoma. This is the optimal visualization. It's just so easy to see. So when we talk about 3D post-processing, we're not only talking vascularity and we're not only talking arterial phase, we're talking excretory phase, we're talking visualization and display of data. Another example, transitional cell. Here's a patient, lower pole mass, axials, coronals, easier to see in the calyx on the coronal. Remember, transitional cell carcinomas are fairly uncommon, but you can see how pretty this case shows the lesion filling in the renal pelvis in a coronal display, in a 3D display. Um, the first one, of course, is an NPR. And then we take this to excretory phase and look how you amputate that single calyx to the very lowest portion of the kidney, and the other calyx is irregular. Just a very nice example of a transitional cell carcinoma. Again, can you see it on axial images? The answer is yes, but it's really best appreciated as you leave the uh, routine plane and go into the 3D um, reconstructions. 
And then finally, one last case, infiltrating tumor, mid to lower portion left kidney, volume rendered, coronal display, shows the delayed function of the left kidney, shows the infiltration of the mass. You see it well here on the 3D and then the coronal display, and you really get a very nice feel of the tumor. Now, it's not just larger tumors like this one, but look at this example. Look at the um, patient um, images. This patient had a cystectomy for bladder cancer. You see the patient has an ileal loop in place. But look at the lower pole of the left kidney. We, we have to note that when the images do shift, that there is infiltration of the lower pole calyx. Very, very nicely shown. That's a, another site of transitional cell carcinoma. Yes, you see it on the coronal, but look how nicely you see it on 3D imaging. So again, another area where visualization is critical. I mentioned we talk about visualization for vessels. That's the easiest thing. We know that in looking at the renal arteries in this donor, that prehylar branching or the two left renal arteries is easiest seen with three-dimensional imaging. And we know, of course, as we spoke, that volume rendering or MIP work well for looking specifically at the renal arteries. And in this case, you see a MIP image showing you both prehylar branching as well as two left renal arteries. Now, one thing 64 slice does give you in looking at the renal arteries beyond stenosis is the ability to diagnose FMD or fibromuscular dysplasia. There are many terms for FMD. It was very difficult to diagnose on the older scanners. Often you couldn't tell was there FMD present or was it simply just a minimal motion or partial averaging. With 64 slice and even with 16 within sections, look at the string of beads, the, the pearls that you so nicely see in the right renal artery. That multiple beading appearance, classic for FMD, and here it is on another set of images. Very nice definition. We look at beyond simply stenosis, we look at this example. Look at the soft tissue surrounding the aorta and the left renal artery. Well, first you say is maybe perianeurysmal fibrosis, or could this be an aneurysm with intramural hematoma? But what you're seeing really is that the ureter is surrounded by soft tissue. Retroperitoneal fibrosis, well, that's a good thought. But, you know, it's usually not, it's, it's a little different appearance. Though not always, I would admit. And in this case, you can see this has been around for a while. The left kidney is smaller. When you look carefully at this, this infiltration of the aorta, and the renal artery is an excellent manifestation of Takayashu's aortitis. And you can see in the 3D mapping the very nice encasement of the patient's renal arteries. Commonly, we do see this in the arch and the branch vessels of the arch. We see it in the carotid, subclavians, etc. But this is a very nice example of Takayashu's. We talk about other things. Here's a simple example of a renal artery aneurysm, left renal artery. You typically can make the diagnosis on axial images. 3D makes it easier and often uh, shows you lesions that were overlooked. Or in this case, with the left kidney not functioning, great example of um, the uh, capsule sign where you see some enhancement of the capsule of the kidney but lack of function to the kidney in general. And this was a patient who was post-op from an aortic aneurysm repair. And you can see the left renal artery is gone, so the patient had global infarction of the left kidney. So it's this 
tools that also become very important. I've given lectures before to you on the importance of tools, and I'll give you lectures on some of the newer applications we've been looking at, but this is just such a simple thing. If you're looking at the carotids, the bones are in the way, and so you take the bones and separate the bones from the vessels or separate the vessels from the bones, and here you pull out the carotid arteries and you see the carotid stenosis. So again, when you're doing visualization, it's important to be able to do these techniques. And in this example, lactatic carotid arteries, nice example in Loewy's Dietz syndrome. Again, one of the things you want to do at the base of the skull, A, you can't use MIP. B, there's a lot of overlapping and overlying structures. Here's the vertebrals from a different perspective. But what you can do is simply use the computer to pull out the vessels. So we go from here to this appearance, where now you have the ectatic carotids, but you see the carotids alone. You're able to select out any of the vessels of your choosing and simply pick up those vessels. So again, what we're saying is the techniques are substantially changing. The ability to edit drives applications, particularly in small part imaging. So if you want to look at a CT angio of the hand and look for vasculitis, a small vessel disease, when all the bones are there, it's a challenge. When the bones are taken away, like there, it's not much of a challenge. It's easy to look at. And you can see this example or in this set of images how nicely we can do that. The art of visualization truly spans the gamut of applications in the vascular system. So whether it's looking at a runoff study where here we're looking at the disease in both superficial femoral arteries or we're looking at in this patient where we're looking at a nice example of the same case, the popliteal vessels and trifurcation with disease. Or if we're looking at patients not just for peripheral vascular disease, but in this case where the patient has had trauma. And you can see, look at the SFA at the level near the popliteal artery. It's cut off, it's amputated, you pull a bone away, and you could see the occlusion. So that was traumatic occlusion. The ability to visualize this with volume rendering or visualize with MIP, as well as looking at the lower extremities, looking at the pelvic vessels, all of this single injection, perfectly timed acquisition. When we talk about tools and post-processing, we also speak about stents. And so in this patient, with a stent in place, repair of a right common iliac artery aneurysm, when you want to look at that, you can see the graft, but how do you know the graft is patent? You could do 3D imaging, and you could pull things away. So here we take the bone away, but you're still left with the mesh of the uh, stent, and you could do a whole lot of processing steps like here, but again, how much of this with MIP is truly luminal compromise, and how much is patency, it's very hard to tell. And so in these cases, we use a tool that takes us inside the vessel, follows the center line, and gives us a curved planar reconstruction. And this is a very, very helpful tool in these more complicated cases with stents or grafts, or even cases with bad calcification. It can indeed be very helpful. We're seeing more and more patients with unique operations. This patient arch aneurysm was repaired with an endovascular stent. We look for complications, most commonly endoleaks, but we've seen that less frequently in the thoracic aorta. And you can see very nicely here that same patient had to have coverage of the left carotid, and so we have a carotid to carotid bypass. And you want to look at that? Sure, we'll look at that. Let's pull it out in blue. 
Let's put it back. Let's look at it. And let's take it away and look very carefully at the vascular map. So again, in terms of vascular imaging, this post-processing indeed is very critical. I also always like to comment that a danger of CTA, of course, is that we're so good that we will potentially over-radiate the patient by getting too many studies. I want to show you how we can actually decrease radiation. We decrease radiation, we decrease cost by thinking ahead, doing one study that answers many questions. So a gunshot wound to the knee, you see the muscle injury, but the question is what about bone? And so what we'll do is look at the muscle. We'll look at the lack of any significant muscle injury on these images. We'll look at the popliteal artery in good position, which is not injured. We'll look at the bony structures and we'll be able to really give a comprehensive evaluation. Now, in saying the word vascular, you can't separate vascular from cardiac. Cardiac is always the most demanding vascular application we'll do. And I'll tell you what, why don't we take a five minute break and let's start from there. Thanks very much. <laughs>